0: How's everybody doing? Another episode of Mobile Homies on Instagram Live. We have Russell El Where do I begin with this guy? To say he's just an engineer or a mixer is, uh, that's just doing him a disservice, man. You know what I mean? It's just not true. There he is. He's so much more than that. And here he is right now what's up bro how are you man
1: i'm doing great good to see you man
0: you too man
1: yo man we never met but like we've been on albums together you know
0: yeah yeah Yeah. i think before we start i'm gonna give an introduction here it it might embarrass you a little bit (laughs) okay just because there's so many good things here and I really didn't know where to start, to be completely honest, man. And so <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's it's really important to me on a lot of levels. And um, I will just say that today on Mobile Homies, I said this before. I mean, Paul Russell, an engineer or a mixer or a producer, I don't think it's enough, man. I mean, this is the guy <laughs> has been at the hub of so many genre and era-defining and defying moments. You know, when you talk about the guy that mixed D'Angelo Voodoo, mixed Common Like Water for Chocolate, mixed Black Messiah, mixed Erica Badu, damn near all my favorite Roots albums common alicia keys big hits jay-z unplugged roy hargrove that's right peace rest in peace angelique god i mean these are all the records that i wish i would have (laughs) made
1: i've been lucky man thank you thank you i've been really blessed man really lucky you know meeting the right people at the right time man you know really it started once I met D'Angelo man he was like you know my soulmate through the through my career you know we kind of merely made our stamp together you know and from I mean we met through doing brown sugar but from voodoo on I mean that was it you know once we made that album so many Good and positive things came from that. Met so many talented people, you know,
0: so I'm grateful for that, man. Well, you know. Let's talk about this. Where are you from originally?
1: Uh, I was born in the Philippines. Okay. Um, and we moved to New York when I was five years old.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: which part of the which part? Uh, well, my mom, we, I grew up in uh, Manila, Quezon mm-hmm. uh, City, That my, uh, which is.
0: My wife's family is from Quezon City. Oh, uh, yeah. really? yes that's
1: where my mom is from she's a city girl my my dad is a um he was a, a country boy from uh Bico in okay. the mountains i'm in the middle of nowhere beautiful
0: yeah. D- does your father speak another language other than tagalog like a different dialect
1: yeah his yeah it's called Bicol Bicolano Bicolano. Oh. yeah okay. <laughs> right on and so yeah and grew up in new york man when, when- most of my life since i was five Uh, mostly in Staten Island, Staten Island, New York, man. The Wu Tang.
0: Are there Filipinos in Staten Island?
1: (laughs) There are. I was like the only one when I when we first got here.
0: (laughs) Let me ask you this: Why Staten Island?
1: Well, my dad's uh, niece was living in Staten Island. She came to the uh, the U.S. first. Okay. So he came. He came before us. Met met up with, which is my cousin. And he liked it. And so, you know, he wanted to be in New York. And that's where we settled. And that that was it. You know,
0: how old were you at that time? Uh, I was five when we first moved here. Okay, All right. So so you're part of that wave of Filipino immigration that uh, my wife was a part of. Moved, you know, very, very young. The parents were born and raised in the Philippines. Where is she from? Well, her mother's from Quezon City and her father, I want to say he was also from somewhere else in Manila, but I'm not I'm not really sure. I can't remember. Okay. cool, man. But yeah, the diaspora. This is another thing that I want to talk about also uh, later on in the call is that a lot of people don't realize that this dude who is a part of all these, like I said, very pivotal genre defining moments you know this is a filipino dude
1: anyway. i know man <laughs> you know um a friend of mine we did uh we first met this guy kazai jones guitar player mm-hmm. um he's from uh he's from lagos but uh we we were working on his album and uh he flew me out to to paris to work on it and this was really before the internet was blowing up, and you know they nobody really knew what I looked like, so when I walked in, he was so surprised because from the albums i, I did, he thought I was going to be like some big black dude, you know, <laughs> and I come in, some little Asian dude comes in, but yeah, I was unfortunate, man, I think you know everybody kind of loved the way I was making things sound, so that whole a genre of music just kind of uh everybody just said hey well just get Russ, get Russ on it get Russ on it you know plus we were all at electric lady it was all like a um, musical community
0: like how did you get started in music and then uh...
1: yeah uh i started playing guitar when i was um like in sixth grade my best friend at the time who lived right directly behind us he was playing guitar and uh so yeah that's how it started i was started um playing in bands when i was like 12 years old 13 you know started our own little bands what kind of music did that mostly like classic rock stuff black sabbath and you know led zeppelin and pink floyd hendrix but i was always interested in in the sound of records you know always look at who's producing it who engineered it you know always notice like different sounds of records you know from different things i was listening to and I was always the one, like, recording our our live jams in, in my garage and stuff like that. And my dad said, hey, you should do something to fall back on just in case the musician thing doesn't work out. So uh, I actually, like, I wanted to drop out of school and go to engineering school, audio engineering school. But I, I needed a diploma. So I, I had to graduate from high school. Straight out of high school, I went into... um a school called uh uh institute of audio research in uh in the village in, in new york uh just a technical course like one year course you know and then from there i just started interning in studios in manhattan mm-hmm. worked my way up from the bottom man cleaning bathrooms and you know getting coffee and cleaning up the studios and work my up to, work my up to assistant and then
0: engineering and then that was it from there what was your um? What was your big break? When were you able to break out of being an assistant and mixing records on your own?
1: Yeah, you know there was like um, it was about of uh, probably a good two year transition from the time I said, okay, I'm not gonna assist for anybody anymore.
0: So that was that so was start. a start. Conscious decision on your part.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Because um, I was getting to a point where. I wasn't learning from the assist uh the engineers that I was assisting, mm-hmm. and I just thought well, I could do a better job, so I wasn't getting fulfilled at all. I wasn't learning, and so I needed to make the jump but at the same time I didn't have any clients um but luckily the studio I was working at uh quad studios where Tupac got shot <laughs> the first time yeah. um <laughs> we they were um you know at the when i was when I was making the transition um studios still needed you know staff engineers they needed engineers to help out with vocal sessions or or something so um a lot of times a client would call to book a session um and they would need the staff engineer to to do the session so that's how I started meeting um new clients and then I started working for David Morales and Frankie knuckles. You know the kings of like you know remixes and 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 house music so i cut my teeth a lot doing a lot of their stuff you know first it was just me being credited as assistant engineer but i was actually engineering the sessions and it was a kind of like breaking me in sort of you know popping my cherry for about a good year before i started getting actual credits on on the albums but I did tons and hundreds and hundreds of hours with uh with Morales and, and Knuckles, you know. So uh that was a great great learning experience. Um when you're working with Frankie and, and- Frankie I was it was uh probably around nineteen eighty nine and ninety I was doing a lot of work. So it was probably twenty two or twenty three, you know. I started working in the studios when I was twenty, so but um yeah so uh, that would be like 86 yeah around 90 89 90 90
0: 92 Mm. around that time yeah (laughs) within a couple years you're working with legends right and i mean
1: after that yeah i mean like i said i was meeting the right people and of course i had i had talent so people kept coming back to me to to get you know to start mixing so it just started off as remixes first and then I, i did this uh um remix with um DJ Clark Kent hip-hop producer we did this remix for Christopher Williams every little every little step you take or something like that but it was a huge like hip-hop remix classic they played it on in all the clubs and so the hip-hop guys slowly started to um to call me you know like uh there was people like Sadat X and like the X clan yeah, those sessions were crazy, man. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I mean, they were bringing guns to the session and all kinds of stuff, man. Um, so, yeah, I really, really busted my ass to 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 get to, you know, to the top.
0: So, OK, so we're talking about early 90s. You know, you, you're you're you, you start off a quad. And then you're you're working with Morales and you're and you're working with Frankie Knuckles and then Clark Kent and, and on and on it goes. And then suddenly you're in the studio with X Clan and Sedata. I mean, that really lets me know that <laughs> also. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But I, I think that um, I started hearing your name I think when I saw that you were working with the roots and that's when i really started that's when i started to take notice you know and how did that relationship come about because that relationship with quest love I, I feel like was this is forgive the pun but that it from my perspective it seemed like that was the roots of everything you know what oh, I mean? wow
1: right thank you
0: how yeah start.
1: Uh, well, I started um, working with the roots after um meeting Questlove on Voodoo. Once we worked on Voodoo, there was a real synergy between us as far as like maximizing the time to get the best drum sounds, you know. Oh, um, came
0: first,
1: Voodoo came first. Yep, and, and that's and, how we met.
0: Okay, so let me get this timeline straight in my mind because you know my timeline um is is that of a fans you know what i mean and so i don't really i want to make it clear you know i I just sort of want to make that path really clear linearly so and obviously brown sugar was even before that so i guess deep for you d'angelo was the genesis of all of all this and how did that relationship come about
1: well he was um okay this, the manager, I was mixing an album for Angie Stone when she was, um, before she went solo a group called Vertical Hold, who was being managed by Kedar Massenberg, who was also managing D'Angelo. Right. He, he liked what I was doing. Um, and then he set up a meeting for, for me and D'Angelo at Battery Studios while I was mixing the album. But the crazy thing is he didn't, he introduced himself as Michael. He never introduced himself as D'Angelo, right? So I had already heard his music, loved it. I wanted to be part of the album. And I'm hanging out with him for like two weeks before I even realized that it's D'Angelo, man. And uh, we, But we hit it off, you know, we'd, we'd talk about music and he would watch what I was doing. And we, you know, we'd smoke blunts and everything yeah. together. Finally got, Finally realized it was him. And I'm like, dude, I've love your shit, and we got to start working together on something and uh and i said so that's when i finished up brown sugar they needed they need another engineer after bob power to finish off the album so there's three songs left so i ended up mixing lady uh jones in my bones and when we get by
0: you came in to mix at the tail end of, of, that's right let's talk about this relationship though with d'angelo because i mean clearly i, I think from then on You've been the only engineer he's worked with you know to to mix uh, you know these i mean to say they're incredible albums just there's i don't know if there's a word <laughs> you know, like just to describe how important they are you know so let's talk about this relationship with d'angelo because you know one of the things we talk about here on mobile homies a lot is like kindred spirits you know what i mean clearly you guys saw something in each other that would provide the rest of us with these amazing records you know what is it what is it between
1: you know when i talk about our uh, about this you know first i say that i feel like we were meant to meet and do albums together that's 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 how we both feel you know we've talked about it too because it is special you know um because we started talking about voodoo before um while we were making brown sugar while we were finishing that album because I wanted to I was hearing him like differently like I was hearing him more rougher and I was had ideas about maybe putting distortion on this thing and I already had my ideas trying to, to flow with him and yep. he said man we you know we gotta we gotta stay with like the you know kind of close to what Bob, Bob Power did because seven songs are finished you know we gotta kind of have a cohesion on the album right and he's like but yo man I love what you're talking about. Let's, let's, let's keep talking about this man for the next album, you know? And sure enough, man, that's what happened, man. He, um, he bought a house in in Virginia, in Richmond. And I would go down there like a couple months before we started at electric lady. I went, I would go down there, bring albums, bring some weed, hang out and vibe, talk about the, the album and this and that, you know? Um, but like, you know, when I first heard his demos, just on a musical level, man, I just knew this guy was, he was like my savior, kind of, because this is the stuff I wanted to be doing. I was doing, like, a lot of stuff that was sequence, you know, a lot of the early R&B scene of that time in new, that was coming out in New York, you know, with the new Jack Swing and all that stuff. I was engineering, I was doing great mixes, but not completely satisfied. Cause I wanted to do more organic music stuff where live drums and all this stuff. Right. And here comes the Angelo, you know, and we didn't do it on Brown sugar, but voodoo was all organic, live drums, trying to get the right sounds, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and then we have this whole Jimi Hendrix connection too, man. Cause I like turn him on to Hendrix basically, you know, he knew like purple haze and, He knew just the classic Hendrix, but he didn't know like Hendrix, you know. Right. And once his mind was open to Hendrix, it was just like an epiphany. He was like, "Oh my God!" Yeah. Prince, if it wasn't for Hendrix, Prince wouldn't be the same Prince. If it wasn't for Hendrix, Sly wouldn't be the same Sly. And like so many people were influenced by Hendrix, George Clinton, you know, Funkadelic would would be so different without Hendrix, man
0: yeah because when i when i look back at brown sugar great album Mm -hmm. obviously you know great album but it was very programmed it was very programmed and that was very different than i mean now that you tell me those conversations that you were having in the interim about more organic and plain and then concurrently and in parallel you're having these ideas about how you're not satisfied with the way that uh, current RB or hip hop is it was very programmed
1: at that time, exactly, still so, is.
0: And he was open to that, and he was open, yeah.
1: he was totally open, man. And, and- we were afraid that, that Voodoo wasn't going to be we, you know, it could have gone either way because it was so different from what anything that was coming out at that time. Jay Z was huge, I mean, much respect. Different sounds, you know, completely like from left field, you know.
0: I mean, it, it's hard to contextualize that now because it was such a success and it influenced everything that came after it in that lane, in that genre. Right. But that's a big fucking risk. <laughs> it was a big risk. To say, we're going to get the drum machine the fuck out of here.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: You, you know, to say, we're not going to record digitally. Because obviously that's that's your hallmark, strictly analog, right? Mm-hmm. But now that you tell me that this was the conversation, these were the conversations that you or guys were having. That's a that's not even that's not just a pivotal moment for you or D'Angelo and, and and your journey together. That's a pivotal moment for music. Because think about that. You're right, though, man. When you guys make that decision, and Voodoo comes out it changed everything after it it
1: did change everything yep exactly that's crazy man that's crazy
0: and you and you attribute a lot of that to i mean obviously you're both geniuses i mean everybody i've talked to they're like russ is a genius hands down (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna get into that we're gonna we're gonna expand (laughs) that you know because i I think this is something that it it just needs to be discussed and celebrated (laughs) but that, I mean, this is what everybody says, but clearly you guys are both visionaries. You know what I mean? And what gave you guys the courage? Or were you even thinking in those terms to change the sound?
1: You know what, man? We had a, a chemistry, you know, which is, which is, uh, it's a rare chemistry where where two, a group of people can be on the same page so much that you don't have to even say stuff to them anymore you know so you know for me you know i look at it this way i i knew that i could show everybody what i could do and how good i am i've got skills listen to listen to this you know and d was the same way he's like um i know what i got i know the music i want to do it's going to be dope Mm -hmm. so we are we were both like each other's vehicles for what we, we each wanted to do you know he was the perfect vehicle for me to showcase my engineering mm-hmm. and i was the the right pressing for him to get his music heard
0: in in such a way you know okay i i think w- we need to talk about this a little bit because voodoo became the the basis and the blueprint then for everything in that lane afterwards as far as i'm concerned you know as far as like the soul querying sound or whatever you want to call it and one thing that you see in voodoo and one thing that you see in that sound a lot of the same musicians yep how did that band come together that studio band which was quest it was pino i just love
1: pino um there I, was uh spanky guitar right. player god rest his soul that was the really the core man when when especially if it was d'angelo and Questlove and pino you put them in a room together and it's magic something great is always going to come out of it and uh so they would just jam out for hours and hours you know once we started working there Questlove really is the guy who put the word out he's like you got to come to electric lady they got us all, all this cool gear. They got us sounding crazy like the 70s. And then Jay Dillard was, was in a picture too. Right. Dillard would come to the sessions and he would just put his vibe. Just him being in the room would just make us make them so inspired to play something, man. Isn't, they wouldn't even have to yeah. say anything just because.
0: Isn't that amazing how some artists just have that kind of presence? just them being in the room bring I know. you to another level you know
1: that's it man cuz he'd play us all his all his mixtapes man all the slum village before it was released and like he'd come in and you know he just have treats for us he'd blow our minds and they would go in there and jam and just come up with shit
0: you, you know that are yeah. the things that I wanted to also ask you about because you guys gave in my opinion electric lady a new lease on life you guys played electric lady like an instrument in my opinion hell yeah hell you, yeah it wasn't just a place to it wasn't a room just to come in and record historically obviously it's one of the most important studios in in american music history absolutely and and quest was the one that, that said, you got, you got to do it here.
1: Uh, it. No. The he, was the guy who spread the word once we were in there already and started. We were started because uh, right. we were tracking for like a whole year straight, dude. We we weren't even thinking about mixing. We were just straight up recording for a whole year.
0: <laughs> what was that about? That's just getting the ideas out, just demoing? And jamming.
1: Just jamming and, you know, the label was giving us a lot of flexibility because they knew they were from the stuff they were hearing they knew they were they were getting a special album and um yeah just d'angelo really uh indulging for the first time trying to see what it would become you know uh really having these incredible musicians coming and wanting to hang out and jam with him you know uh versus brown sugar where it was all him in his bedroom he did that whole shit in his bedroom on a little (laughs) asr you know solo right. yeah versus voodoo with like quest love and pino who's like work with like everybody bef- be- and he became such a huge fan of d'angelo uh so yeah it was really him indulging that the fact of all these um, musicians were interested in hanging out with him and creating stuff and meeting me and uh, me really introducing him to a lot of rock music in different ways of production rather than just you just standard production yeah um so so yeah
0: yeah like i said i didn't the, the body of work is so deep here and, and so important I, I really didn't know where to start and so um i called chief XL before this did? You did? oh man how's he doing man he says what's up. chief excel for black Malicious. i said hey man you know obviously you know he and i are friends for most of our lives at this point you know and i said what makes russ so special man what what is it about him and his angle and his approach that makes let's just be honest that co-creates albums like voodoo you know what i mean that that makes him such a great co-creator and he goes the dude is an interpreter wow he's amazing mixer He's not an engineer. He's an interpreter. You know, wow, I mean? dude. And I said, that's well, amazing. You, I said, well, what do you mean by that? Speak English, motherfucker. You know what I mean? I said, like, well, what do you mean by that? He's like, I'll fire off ideas at him that make no fucking sense. <laughs> or I'll tell him that shit sound like steel wool. You know, turn that shit into a magenta dream. You know? <laughs> Some stupid that, shit like
1: that. You know what
0: I mean? Yeah. And he, and he says, Russ goes like this. Okay. <laughs> and then That's then, funny. But, you know, actually, he's like, man, he's just not a, he doesn't just turn knobs. You know? <laughs> That's funny, man. <laughs> and, That's and, a good description, though. Yeah. And I get it now, man. And I get it. And do, do you prefer artists that communicate like that in the abstract? I do, you know.
1: Um, I guess because of the stuff I've been doing, a lot of um, artists can get really deep with me, and they find, like, with the mixes, that I'm really taking the songs t- to different places sometimes. So, yeah. So I, I, I think, uh, you know, artists are attracted to me <laughs> for that for that reason, which is cool. But you know, the first time it really happened to me, um, and it- it's strange because it keeps happening. Or like with with Chief XL he would come in and say yeah you know this song this song I I feel it's like a a dark purple you know blue thing he would do it in colors which was cool but you know what man before I did Brown Sugar I was working with Roberta Flack and she would do the same thing she would we would talk about the, the mix for about 45 minutes before we even start she would say i feel like this is brown like autumn leaves and like totally go crazy like conceptualize it you know and I can get deep like that i love it man you know it's a big pink floyd head mushrooms i i can get really deep i love that type of stuff so i, I like that people can uh, look at me and know that i can like go there you know that's like a that's that's a compliment
0: it's almost like it's a spiritual pursuit in a way you know when you're when you're talking about music in those terms it is man it is yeah and and that's that's the other thing that he said is that 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 chief xl said is when we were talking about you it's like okay i said so do you mean to say that with russ it's more than just sound coming out of the speakers it's like he's a fucking painter You, you know what i mean because you know, we, like we we just we, what's the, what's the word kinesthesiology or, or what, what what do they call that shit? There's a word for it. when you see music, you don't just hear oh
1: yeah 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 I forget the name of that yeah
0: yeah because wait so like when I hear music I see it yeah I see this, I see the hmm. I see the voices I see this you know and that's what he said that he shared with you was that this quality that you're sort you're able to take these sounds and the equipment is just the equivalent to like a paintbrush and an easel and absolutely right that's how i like
1: to look at it actually yeah like either like a sculpture or like a painting more like a sculpture because like you know i don't just work on i don't have a formula each time I, i work on a song depending on how difficult it is, or how creative it's going to be, or if it's going to be straightforward. So, uh, you know, I kind of like will sometimes work backwards. Oh, I hear this ending already. So let me let me let me bang that out real quick so that I don't forget the idea. So it's like a sculptor who's like turning around the sculpture, who work on the back for a little bit, step back, turn it around. He'll work on the, the top part, work on the bottom a little bit, turn it around some more. Yeah. Keep chipping it away at it until you get your sculpture,
0: you know. And so you finish Voodoo. There's your sculpture. There's your fucking masterpiece. You know what I mean? Or one of <laughs> them, right? There's one of them, <laughs> right? And I had a couple funny questions here. Uh, that obviously leads to other things. So that led to the that led to the quest love relationship. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Because- and Common, you know, which led to Common. Yeah. Um, yeah. Erica Badu and Bilal
0: you know so yeah. th- therein lies a, a set it, it from my perspective as a fan the second kind of really important relationship that I see there is the, the one between you and Amir am I am I right about that because it led to so many other yes you're absolutely right absolutely yep now Here's the, here's the funny question. As you as you're this is just me being stupid. As you're and as you're working on this, like voodoo comes out as a fucking international, global, universal success, right? Is your father still sitting there like, man, you need to fall back on something?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, he was proud. He, he was, was definitely proud, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Mister
0: Elavado, come to the Electric Lady sessions with dill
1: <laughs> did he come? No, he met the Angelo though yeah. when they played after voodoo came out we uh he played in um House of blues in uh in l a that's the he started the voodoo tour there, it's and I, that's why I invited my dad to go see that show at the House of Blues.
0: Do you have that
1: <laughs> I wish man, you know, I mean back then there was no phone cameras and you had to have a big old slr if you wanted a good picture you know so no i don't have that moment i wish i did though man i wish i
0: did because i just wish i was proud i just wish i had you know these cultural moments right where you got like (laughs) i wish i had my japanese father in that picture with obama or something you you know what i'm saying right yeah 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 that's just me being stupid completely digressing whatever (laughs) that's so, <laughs> all good, okay so 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 voodoo comes out, yeah, and I mean, Quest loves an incredible networker, right, I mean his rolodex is so absolutely he loves artists, absolutely it leads to 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 basically all these other branches on the tree and and mm-hmm. suddenly you're like become the hub of the soul, soulquarian's kind of neo soul, I guess, you know,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess, you know, I found the sound that everybody was like, hey, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So, yeah, really, it was just um, I just had a vision and these guys like the vision, (laughs) you know, but Questlove, man, you know, uh, let's talk about him for a minute. He like I've already said in interviews is that D'Angelo and Questlove are the two people who push me the the furthest from any other producers that, that I've worked with um, just knowing or well, having the faith in me to push me and know that they can get a result rather than pushing me just because they weren't unhappy they were unhappy they were pushing me because oh wow he could just go even further you know mm-hmm. so um, because there, I mean there were times where I would like get a drum sound and he'd be like Wow, that's amazing. All right. Now go dirtier. And I was like, what? Oh shit. I thought it was already dirty. All right. How am I going to get it even dirtier now? <laughs> you know, so he would just push me and, you know, encourage me to, to be different and try new things and experiment and, you know, not be afraid to try anything, you know, um, and it really, you know, the concept of there are no rules, really. he's the one that really laid that foundation down for me to to make it like yeah there's there's no rules
0: at all it's just push yourself as far as you can go you know that's really it, it that's really remarkable because if you talk about the time period right and the moment where these were major corporations funding these albums you know what i mean yeah, right and for a group yeah. of people to be like let's just see what we can do you, you, you know, what I,
1: mean? <laughs> I know.
0: You know what I'm saying? Because I know. You know, a, as a career independent artist, I always have the tab running in my mind. You know, like okay, this, <laughs> I know. Motherfucker has Electric Lady locked out for six months. Ding, 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 ding. ding. You, you know what I'm saying? I know, man. Yeah. I know. Well, he was a,
1: it was a hefty tab, man. It was a hefty tab after we got that Electric Lady. That's for sure, man.
0: That's yeah, for sure. Uh, electric lady was i mean you could have probably built 10 electric they probably could have built 10 electric like, <laughs> right just off the of end you know what i'm saying but no doubt. The, the point that i'm trying to make is that it was a very special time in music i think that may not ever be replicated because you know i i talked to x about this you know i talked to chief xl about this because let's be honest yeah. man making records strictly in an analog fashion is not cheap it isn't especially now man especially now yeah it
1: might not happen again
0: it right and and so like this was a really um special period in 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 time you have this really important core group of artists doing really experimental things
1: exactly yeah it was a an era you know yeah (laughs) it became an era of of you know a time of of music you know
0: how many roots albums did you end up doing
1: uh uh let's see four four things fall apart phrenology and um man what's was the, the names of the other ones uh there's so there's <laughs> too many too many to name i forget the the album titles
0: and then, and then for erica erica came later you did mama's gun or was that Ma- mama's gun yeah these are fucking classics, man. <laughs> like all of them. Was
1: especially there- the Soul you know. And it was a, it was a moment in time because then after that, the you know the Soul Quarians were weren't together anymore. They hadn't done anything all together um, since that era. So uh, that that was uh, pretty important, you know. And it was so. I mean, really, the Soul Trinity would be Voodoo. Uh, Mama's Gun, and Like Water for Chocolate. It's like the
0: Soul it, trinity.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I'd like to talk about Like Water for Chocolate for, for a moment because that was a really important album for me. I thought that that was a moment where Dilla, I felt like, was at his best in my personal opinion. That, that was where Dilla was at his best. I thought it gave Common one of the biggest songs he'd ever had with the light. I felt like Common was at his best. I felt I found like I felt like Common finally had up until that point, he finally had a great producer chemistry in a mirror. Yes. Absolutely. what what kind of fly on the wall conversations, what conversations were you involved in in that album?
1: Ma'am, since Dilla was uh involved quite a bit on that, I just remember just being uh in awe. I was uh it was kind of like a moment where everything was hitting me and I was realizing all these things at the same time because Dilla was in the room and Erica was there they were at the time they were together Erica in common Mm -hmm. and um mixing um the um time traveling and I remember I was putting commons, uh, vocals through the Leslie, the, the organ Leslie. And, uh, I remember just sitting back and just thinking, man, this album is going to be a classic, you know, this is already on the tale of voodoo. And I, I was like, just knew that this album was going to be another special one.
0: Why? What gave you that feeling?
1: Um, I never heard a hip hop record like that before. I never heard a hip hop record with like that much soul, that much just creativity, um, on, on, on an organic level. You know, it was, to me, it was like the evolution of, it was the next evolution of hip hop after tribe. And, you know, I
0: I think one thing that I saw with common in that point was, maybe he always was but i think what i saw at that point was him coming into this role as being a really fearless artist you know like a really fearless yes that's a good point yeah you know and then we saw that again with electric circus although aesthetically i thought that album was really cool and it did a lot of and he it was it was really experimental and and very brave very very brave i thought mm-hmm. I think yeah. I preferred the songs from like Water for Chocolate more, you know. Yeah. But I certainly could understand that willingness to kind of take it places, you know, in the name of growth, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And was brave. It was brave. But he took a good he took a chance
1: and, you know, that album is a classic, man.
0: Yeah. A classic, man. In in the case of like Water for Chocolate and 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 um Electric Circus, is that you Dilla Amir common driving each other I mean are these conversations that you're having
1: well the initial recordings that's what would be what would be happening you know but then once it was came down to to mix time a lot of people would would leave me alone for for a certain amount of time and then they'd come in they check it out see that it was all good or Did hear an idea because I was taking the song in another direction. And so became sort of like the, um, the sort of wave of people coming in and, and out of the, the mix sessions, checking in, giving ideas and, you know, coming out, especially Dilla. He was so inquisitive, man. He, he just, you know, we would just talk for hours. Like I remember this one conversation, we were sitting there for like two hours just talking about sounds and, looping and all kinds of stuff Uh, because i I remember because we were late we were supposed to go somewhere and we thought we had another hour left but we had already been talking for like two hours just vibing but he was so inquisitive man you know and a lot of times he would just sit there and watch what i was doing on um like water for chocolate he would just have had
0: an idea once in a while but he just watch and absorb and ask questions you know? like he just wanted to observe your process is th- is that what you mean yeah yeah and see how to get sounds and how i might do blends and he would ask me
1: questions and stuff he didn't give a lot of like uh any like real comments on the mix he was just watching what i was doing and i'd be like yo what do you think of this but him just be you know standing next to me sitting next to me i'd be like I'd be inspired to try different things. I'd be like, you know, what if I, you know, tell me if you like this. And I just start just going
0: with and vibing with Adila, with you know. Well, let's talk about that process a little bit. I mean, when you're when you're working on, is there a destination in mind? I mean, when you're mixing, is there a destination in mind? Or are you just like, let's just see where this goes?
1: Certain songs um, are special spontaneous and other songs um there were definite um directions you know um i would say most of them were kind of like spontaneous let's see where it goes and other times like a song like time traveling quest love had definite ideas on how the dynamic should be and you know or gave me license to be like all right on this part you do your thing you go crazy on this part and then on this part with the drugs but like um so yeah i would say a lot of it was spontaneous but then another 30 percent was like okay we want this this particular
0: thing so in working with quest love in working with d'angelo let's let's take d'angelo for instance what percentage of those songs on say voodoo was there a destination in mind or were what percentage of those songs were you saying however we get there we'll get there you know how many of those songs had a a direction okay yeah i would say uh
1: i would say songs like um the root and uh player africa you know those were like spontaneous uh and just kind of be creative um songs like untitled you know, feel like making love, those were definite, like we're going for we're going for a certain sound, you know we had a definite sound in mind um it was more yeah more definite in the uh the approach to it, not as much like well, let's leave it alone for today, and let's see what we can come up with tomorrow. you know, certain songs like like that were pretty much etched in stone, you know once we got the initial sound like the first year. <laughs> after the first year (laughs) and we said okay this is the sound (laughs) three years bro it took three years for that you know so
0: yeah well you you know and i i i I realized that when we talk about a lot of these records i mean these are not artists that are banging out an album a year exactly we're not talking about that style of artist, you know. Exactly. That's a good point. There's a lot of thought and conversation and life experience and feeling and yeah. discussions, it seems like, are going into these these albums, you know. It, it's not just like it's not assembly line, you know.
1: Exactly. It's an album you wanna just you don't want to skip it's an out you wanna put on the whole album and that's which is a great point because a lot of people i mean even more so today no one's making an album to put on back you know where you want to hear every song you don't want to skip everyone just wants to make the bangers two bangers and then the fill fillers for the for the rest of the album you know it's crazy
0: well it, and it's interesting because like i um I would certainly put Black Licious into that category too. You know, these are—I I would say that these are artists in the sense that, for me, my, my perspective is just different because I've—I've I've been an independent artist my entire career. You know what I mean? So I felt I had to put out an album every year. You, you, you know what I mean? Like right. So hope does not float
1: to keep With yourself everything. current, right? Yeah
0: well without the fuel frankly you know what I mean that's
1: true right
0: yeah but this was like an era where artists were taking two to three years four years I mean let's talk about voodoo the black messiah 10 plus years (laughs) yeah to make out even here who I I consider to be a role model in terms of his productivity and I can only imagine how difficult it is to make a roots album with that many people involved you know oh yeah yeah what are the what are those what's that process like working with quest love as a producer you know it's the same level of experimentation versus knowing the final destination on the song with
1: yeah you know uh it changes up for um you know different albums um i mean speaking generally um he has definite ideas on how he wants something to sound he may let me start something and see where I'm going so he can see where I'm hearing it, how I'm hearing it, yeah. and if he feels that I'm starting to pull in a direction that he wasn't envisioning, he'll yeah. give me some direction and say, "Well, you know it actually is make I thought maybe we could make it this way or that way and the more we would the uh, the more albums we did, the more it became very specific because he knew. What I was capable of. So later on, he was very specific on on each mix and choose me for particular songs because
0: he knew I would put a certain touch on it. You know, you had developed a chemistry at that point. Absolutely. When you say you, you know, when we talk about that era, like the Soulquarians era, right? We talk about a lot of the Quest Love productions. We talk about the D'Angelo records, the Erika records. What would you say? As far as that the the momentum was concerned, was one of the last albums in that wave. As far as the the strong momentum was concerned,
1: I'd have to say Electric Circus
0: was probably the last the last one of that era. I think. And, and from and from your perspective, how did things change? Why did they change?
1: You know, that's a good question, man. You know, it changed a lot uh was uh having digital recording that changed the business a lot you know and the way the i mean just speaking business-wise how where the where it was starting to go with um with cds and then streaming you know once streaming came in but it was happening already at that time after electric circus was the fact that um not that these artists were were going under or or not putting out good music just the, the rest of the industry was, was just making such um disposable music you know yeah and the industry started taking a shit on on artists and cheapening the the art even more by not giving by shrinking the budgets because now everybody had pro tools in their house oh now we can cut the budgets in half and like it, they started not providing for the artists and therefore the artist was forced to work with cheaper means and then the level of art artistry really
0: started going down let's talk about this because one of your hallmarks is that you only record and mix in analog you know and and for 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 people out there you know that don't know what that means that means that Most records these days are produced, what's called in the box, which is computer-based production, not necessarily studio-based production. And, um, yeah, the industry did change. It did change.
1: Yeah, for for the people out there, it's not not that there's anything wrong with with just staying within the computer. It's just not my preference Right. right now, you know? But uh, yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize how it's changed the whole industry from the studio industry, you know, there's no longer the apprenticeship, you know, now anybody could buy a pro tool system or work in Garage Band. And again, there's nothing wrong with it. But you're not learning from a seasoned engineer who may be able to give you loads of loads of things to learn that's not that you can't learn from reading it on internet or you know so that's missing and then you know artists being able to copy their parts (laughs) and then the song just becomes real linear because they're just copying things and so that whole dynamic of making music with a computer you know well
0: because you know like i said i mean as as a career in an artist what what you what i really respected about you and frankly it was something that i i was never able to do just because i couldn't fucking afford it was to record in a studio like electric lady or record from record to tape i mean i can count on one i'm i'm a veteran artist you know i'm releasing my 15th album and, and i can count on one hand the amount of times i've recorded today you know what right. i mean and so i always envied guys that were in a position and they could do that you know so on the one hand i'm sitting here like well shit, if it wasn't for digital recording i wouldn't have a fucking career you know what i mean right but, and if it wasn't for digital recording so many other people wouldn't have lost their careers yes you- you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i know and um it was interesting i was talking to Chief xl again about about that that whole scenario you know because Mm -hmm. in in music we we recall mixes all the time you know and i grew up recalling mixes like fuck it let's just pull it up again and see (laughs) but you know what what x was saying was that you know when you work with russ we put all the thought into the front end you know Exactly. You're, you don't want to recall. You you put you wanna go back to it. you don't want to re the song. You want to put all your energy into the on the front end of the creation. Exactly, man.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, man. Um, because I mean that's really an old school way only because that's how that's we didn't have it any other way. You know, you go in, you wanna finish that mix because you just paid for you know for like two days of mixing. And you got to pay the assistant and all this stuff it costs a lot of money to mix one song you know so in the end nobody wanted to recall it you wanted to be dead sure so the artist was there the producers was there maybe the ain't guy was there but the main people were there to to approve that mix and be like okay yeah that's it you know so the mix and effects becomes like a performance you know because it's a one one-time deal you know you can re- we can recall it an- in analog, and sometimes we would could go in like a week later, two weeks later, but we're we're, talk- we're not talking like six months later, and you want to change like the baseline. There was none of that, man. You know, yeah. none of that. So I'm a firm believer in you got your vision. That if I'm mixing it, let's
0: let's do it and let's let's finish it. You know, put it to bed. It makes you a much more confident artist, I think, too, because you have to stand by your decision exactly as, as you're going. You know exactly, exactly. I, I read, you know, Steven Soderbergh when he shoots, he's cutting as he goes. Right. Know? So there is let there's a lot less editing time when you're done with the movie. In that's the, right. And I'm like, that is so fucking brave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just not how I was conditioned. You know. I know,
1: I know. Well, look at look at the Beatles. Look at all those artists that were doing all that stuff on four tracks. Imagine we, if we only had four tracks right now. <laughs> what would anybody do, man? Yeah. And they made these crazy albums with orchestras and, you know, four tracks. Man. yeah. Or even going back to the old Miles Davis stuff, man. You know, like those were all like two-track stuff, like Kind of Blue. That was two tracks, man. They didn't have, you know, the console was probably like... 10 channels or something, you know, and the whole album was recorded with like five microphones, six microphones, you know,
0: (laughs) Do you think we take for granted our own potential and our own as as artists and and as human beings, do, do we take for granted our own decision making process because we have this ability to recall, you know, or because we have the ability to reconsider the choices that we made?
1: I think it 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 can hamper the process. It can definitely add to to the process, but you know I, I think you know the limitations become part of the production. You know because you you had to do it a certain way because you only had it like this, and you because you're a good artist, you made it your own special thing. You know even if you did it. In all plugins and all and all digital, and you created this thing, you know, God bless you, man. Just having those limitations, I think was part of that the way those albums came out, man, for sure, absolutely
0: yeah, I mean personally, I think I, 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 I always loved limitations, you know in, yeah, in an artistic setting because You got what you got,
1: man. Yeah, because artists are self-indulgent, man. They'll just keep going. You give them them the the rope, they'll keep going. (laughs) So, you know, I even equate that to uh, just as a mixer, giving me a time limit to get it to finish it makes me work a certain way. Right. The more time I have, the less. I mean, it'll come out good, but it's a different process, you know. Yeah. It's not as immediate and you're going with your gut instincts and you've got momentum and then you finish it, you know, you get to the finish line rather than, you know, I should talk because I worked with a, a guy who do only he did two albums in freaking over 20 years, you know, <laughs> but he's I'm, beside, he's the exception to the rule.
0: <laughs> 100%, man. 100%. It's almost like the, these limitations and these parameters become your friend, you know, you know, when you're, absolutely when you're working that way you know so i don't think we have that much time left unfortunately you know but i i, I, I just fun man yeah i mean i i feel like I, I just can't understate the importance that your work has had you know in in, in music history you. you know and it's it's particularly significant for me on a lot of levels not only because you helped co-create these albums you know like 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 i said at the top of the conversation from d'angelo to the roots to common erica alicia i mean this this was a moment in history you know this was a moment in human history you know that was so important i think not just for me but for so, obviously for so many other people and, and for music. And, but but I, I think you know it shaped the way that a lot of us feel about music and it shaped the way that a lot of us think about music and the way that it's created. You know? But I think for me also personally, and I, I just can't understate this enough because I know what it feels like. That And I I know this probably doesn't matter to the people that that you work with, you know, maybe the significance of what I'm about to say doesn't matter to the people that you work with, because clearly they work with you because of your talent, you know, and your vision. But people don't understand that one of the most important eras in music, as far as I'm concerned, which which you were a part of, there's an Asian-American guy here at the hub. (laughs) you know that's right this doesn't happen right this doesn't happen without you this doesn't happen without you you know what i mean and so for me you know that is a particular point of pride i think that that needs to be underlined and celebrated and and understood you know in in these circles and in our community i think that really needs to be understood man and um because thank you yeah because these albums to say they're important or that they're great it just it's not enough you know what i mean it's not enough and to say that your work is important and it's great it's not enough man it's not enough i mean we could sit here and talk okay. for it because you have sat alongside some of the best to ever do it and they entrusted their vision with you do you see what i'm saying and so that to yeah. me I don't think that you can really downplay that in any way. That is so significant to me. Thank you. Yeah. I would like to do this again if you're down.
1: You know, absolutely, man. Absolutely, I had a great time, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and Let's I, do I, it again. I, I really appreciate everything that you do, man. And I. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you too, bro. I really. wish the thirty yeah. or more. You know. thanks you man
1: i haven't stopped man you know yeah then this in this era there's the new guys the um you know the uh the tom mishes and uh the the kamasi washington's you know they're coming up d'angelo's blooming his head just for everybody good i mean he's always around so you know that's eventually going to happen too you know so um, but, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the next one, man. Let's definitely do this again, man, for
0: sure. And, and I'm also looking forward to the day when we get in the studio together. Good. let's do it, man.
1: When this whole COVID thing is is done, man, we're definitely going to get together, you know? For sure. For sure. Okay.
0: <laughs> I love you, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you so
1: Thank much. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it.
0: Russell Alabado, everybody.
1: Thanks, guys. We'll see ya.
0: Thank
1: you. You're welcome. My pleasure, man. Thank you.
0: Yo, thank you for listening to Mobile Homies. Make sure you subscribe and hit me with a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you catch your podcast. For more content, hit up lyricsborn.com. Love y'all. Uh.